God of our Father, almighty hand, leads forth in beauty all the starry band of shining worlds in splendor through the skies. Father's Day to all the fathers out there this morning. I want to share something with everyone. This morning in class, I was sharing a story. And the story was about, about men and fathers. What kind of legacy will you pass along to your children? When you've been buried and gone, what will they remember you by? As men, as husbands, as fathers, and as Christians, there is a legacy that has been laid before us by our Heavenly Father. And we have the opportunity to read about this legacy every day and to live up to it every day of our lives. Fathers, remember, as you live your lives and you have children out there, you have to pass on a legacy to your child. Will it be about materialism? Will it be about cars or money? Or will it be about how faithful you are to your heavenly father and how faithful you were to your wife? Which one will it be for you? Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity you've given to us this morning. We thank you, Lord, because you have been so merciful and so gracious to us. We thank you because you are such a loving Father. Even when we fall and stumble along the way, Lord, you are always there for us. We thank you for the blessing of allowing us to celebrate another Father's Day, O oh Lord. Father, we ask that you be with each and every person that is here this morning. 
Lift us up and let us become the fathers that you have laid out before us. Father, as we prepare to take this offering this morning, we ask that you would clear our minds and our hearts. Let us boldly lay, things, lay our materials, our monies out before you this morning, O oh Lord, and let us be able to receive your word into our hearts. Let us be able to not just to receive it, but let us take this word in our hearts and let us share it with those around us as we leave this house of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Shall we pray? Eternal God, giver of every good and perfect gift, into your presence we bow with thanksgiving and joy, knowing, Father, that we are your children, called to be your people about ministry in this world, sharing the love of Jesus by any means possible to us. We're grateful, Father, for your word and for its power. We're grateful that as we open your word this morning, we can find and will find truth. Father, we pray that you will draw near to us. Allow us to hear you. For those, Father, who are not with us today because they are ill or recuperating from illness, we give them to you and pray your blessings upon them. Bring healing and hope and strength. For those, Father, who have lost loved ones, we lift them before you and ask for your comfort. We pray for our missionaries, for their work here and around the world. We pray for our own youth this week as they are in ministry. We pray, Father, that lives might be touched and transformed. We're grateful, Father, that we have the resources together to send them and that they are willing to go. We pray for their safety. We pray, Father, that their lives might be touched and transformed as they seek to touch others. We're grateful, Father, for the power of prayer and for the hope that rests in knowing you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. (coughs) Our scripture lesson will be behind me, and then it'll go back up. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And we read the story story of a boy who is healed and all that goes with that. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed And running to him, greeted him, and he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, To deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed in him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. We all need help. As Christians, when we need help, we are to turn to the Lord for solutions. Unfortunately, we do not always do that. Why? There are many reasons, I'm sure, but today I would like us to ponder one specific reason why we do not turn to God for help in our most difficult needs. And that is our unbelief. But we say, what? Of course I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Son and His sacrificial work on the cross for my sins. I believe in the Holy Scriptures delivered unto people through the apostles. I believe in everything necessary and good for salvation. And I would say, amen, very good, me too. However, you and I both know that there are times when deep down in the innermost part of our souls, we don't. We lack belief. Today we want to look at how our text speaks to unbelief in the context of a father (coughs) and his son. Unbelief is not and should not be unbelievable. This is to say, don't be unduly taken back by this reality. For our Lord demonstrates to us this certainty among his disciples and a certain father. Under normal circumstances, few human relationships are more admirable than that which exists when there is a strong bond between a father and his son. Yet when the son is the helpless victim of an incurable disease and his parents must watch him suffer without being able to do anything to relieve his suffering, that is a scene that will melt the hardest heart. And such is the case in this story which all three synoptic gospel writers have recorded. In today's passage, some of the disciples had been left alone to deal with the demon while Jesus had been away on the mountain. Remember, he had taken three of his disciples with him. And they had gone on the mountain that has become known as the Mount of Transfiguration. They had had an experience with God, but no sooner had he come down from the mountain than he was faced with what the disciples had been up to while he was gone. And it was chaos. We see in verses 14 through 19 that this was a scene of extremes. What is the situation the disciples face? The disciples were acting as representatives of Jesus, entrusted by him with his ministry, the same, by the way, as we are. Jesus had left them to act as his representative and had given them the authority they needed to carry out the ministry that he had left them. This is exactly the situation that we are in as well. We have been left to do the work of our Lord. Imagine for a moment 
that we have been waiting with the other non-disciples down in the valley, somewhere at the base of Mount Hermon for Jesus and the other three disciples to return. A serious problem had developed while Jesus had been gone. When Jesus and the three disciples finally descend, they discover a group of people engaged in a heated debate. A group of scribes is challenging Jesus' disciples. The disciples are certainly a frustrated minority, for a father had just brought his demon-possessed son to them after hearing that Jesus can cast out demons. But instead of detaining the man and his son until Jesus returned to deal with the problem, the disciples proceeded with a tragic kind of presumption to handle the matter themselves. The disciples soon discovered their limitations of their ability to act as representatives of Jesus. They were faced with a boy possessed with the spirit. Here is evidence of a common human fallacy within these disciples. During the preceding months, they had observed Jesus performing many miracles, including the exercising of demons. They had heard the words he had spoken. They thought that they had the formula, the magic words. They thought they knew what Jesus would say. We have When Jesus is here, we are always in the background, they said. But after all, we have given up much to follow him. We are always promoting him and giving him first place. Well, he isn't here right now, and we know the words he uses when he performs these miracles. Why don't we just take care of this one ourselves? Why don't we cash in on a little of this glory? So what do we have thus far? What was happening here? The disciples were facing a spiritual battle, human need, an extraordinary difficulty that was beyond their own resources. Utter, total, shameful defeat. The scribes certainly couldn't help the demon-possessed boy. And Jesus' disciples, whose master had cast out demons in their presence, had tried to do it, but they could not. So when Jesus arrived, the disciples were silent for they were embarrassed and humiliated. The scribes were strangely quiet, perhaps because of the striking brilliance of Jesus' appearance. This may be the implication of the statement in verse 15. But picture the scene as Jesus comes down. The disciples are surrounded by a great crowd, and they had failed publicly. There's nothing like being surrounded by a crowd while you fall flat on your face, is it? The scribes are arguing with the disciples. The father is frustrated and the boy is no better. Again, it is chaos. But what did Jesus say in verse 19? You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Do you get the impression that Jesus is frustrated? It's interesting that he talks about an unbelieving generation. He's really got a problem with the disciples, but actually he says that it's a problem that characterizes everyone in that generation. This isn't a problem that's restricted to a few people. This is a problem that really affects everyone, and it does even today. How long shall I put up with you? What's the problem? 
Was the demon too powerful? There's no doubt that this demon was powerful because later Jesus says in verse 29, this kind, uh, this kind can only come out by prayer. Implying this is a harder case. The disciples had been able to cast out other demons before, so this was a more difficult demon. But the problem, according to Jesus, wasn't really the demon. Jesus doesn't get frustrated with the demon. He actually has no problem with the demon. He knows what to do. The problem, Jesus says, is not that the demon is too big. It's that the faith of the disciples is too small. The problem isn't the demon. The problem is the disciples. They were trying to handle things on their own. This is shocking. It looks like the disciples relied on their own devices to handle the demon. It's unthinkable, isn't it? But let's think about that a bit more. How many times have we tried to serve others with the same self-reliance as the disciples? Could it be that this is one of the reasons for our lack of power? O.S. Guinness says that this is exactly what is happening today. He says the, most, the two most easily recognizable hallmarks of secularization are the exaltation of numbers and technique. Both are prominent in the church growth movement. In its fascination with statistics and data at the expense of truth, this movement is characteristically modern. He goes on to say, in a world of number crunchers, bean counters, and computer analysts, the growth of churches as a measurable fact-based business enterprise is utterly natural. We try to do ministry on our own strength and in our own power. But we see in this story that one did speak. A man grief-stricken. He walked dejectedly up to Jesus. Agony, frustration, and deep grief contorted his features, the features of his face. He shared with Jesus the torture suffered by his son and the failure of Jesus' disciples to help them. Jesus' response was one of the saddest statements he ever made. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus was saying that he lived in the midst of a generation without faith. His cry was a soliloquy coming from his heart. It revealed his awareness of the overwhelming difficulties in which he must carry out his ministry in the world. And so he was frustrated. We see the scene of tragedy in verses 20 through 24. The father in this passage realizes he is in way over his head. The problem is we think Jesus only deals with people who have it all together. But it is the opposite. Jesus gives grace to those who acknowledge their need. When Jesus challenges him, the Father says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you realize what he was saying? He is saying, help me just as I am. A doubter. We like to sing that song, don't we? just as I am. I don't know that we mean it. But in this case, this man meant it. He wanted Jesus to take him just as he was and help him. 
He does not plead based on how together he is. He realizes that he has nothing to make himself worthy. He does not say, please heal my boy based on how much faith I have. Instead, he pleads for mercy and throws himself at Jesus' feet. True faith is always aware of how inadequate it is. Hear that. True faith is always aware of how inadequate it is. When some of the friends of this distraught father led the boy to where he and Jesus were talking, the demon in the boy seized him and he lapsed into what may have been the worst convulsion he ever had had. The demon in the boy knew full well whom he was facing, as well as the power Jesus had over demons. The father said to Jesus, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. In that little phrase in verse 22, if you can. There is a trembling, pitifully small residue of faith, of hope. It was just about gone. Yet a shadow remained. Quickly Jesus seized on that bit of hope left in this man's heart. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible. Look at that verse. Everything is possible for him who believes. Doesn't that sound familiar when we think of Paul? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief, he said. This man had reached the end of his rope and could go no further. It was all or nothing. Jesus or the end for him and his boy. In times like that, God moves in and takes over. We have to get off of Get all of self out of the way first. We must stop all of our interfering. We must let go and let God lead. But then we see the glorious scene of victory in verses 25 through 29. Perhaps Jesus took the father and son aside for this conversation. Jesus addressed the evil spirit and demanded not only that it come out of the boy, but also that it never again enter into him. Realizing the torture that waited a disembodied demon, the evil spirit made one last violent attempt to hurt the boy. Mark tells us that the evil spirit cried in the agony of its leaving the body of this young man. The people thought he was dead. But look what Jesus did. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Luke adds a beautiful statement to this part of the story. Jesus gave him back to his father. This boy who had been demon-possessed was separated from his father by the demon itself. And Luke understood that so beautifully that he said, and he gave the boy back to his father. Isn't that a beautiful Father's Day message? Why had the disciples failed so utterly and made such fools of themselves before the enemies of Christ, giving them such fuel to feed the flames of hatred and contempt they had for Christ already? When Jesus and the disciples had left the scene, they asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus answered plainly, this kind can come out only by prayer. 
In effect, he was saying to them, you don't live close enough to God. God's power was available for their use. But that which activates that power is prayer. God would say the same thing to you and me when we fail miserably in our Christian witness and testimony. We need to live closer to him. Jesus has come down from the mountain and found prayerless ministry. Prayerless ministry is no better than idolatry. It is dethroning God and putting our trust in technique and human strength instead of trusting in God alone. Henry Nouwen wrote, We have fallen into the temptation of separating ministry from spirituality. Service from prayer. Our demons say we are too busy to pray. We have too many needs to attend to. Too many people to respond to. Too many wounds to heal. Prayer is a luxury. Something to do during a free hour. A day away from work or on a retreat. Maybe we fear prayer because as now one says, prayer is a way of being empty and useless in the presence of God. And so proclaiming our basic belief that all is grace and nothing is simply the result of hard work. We are continually faced with situations in ministry that are greater than we can handle. And we need to see this passage teaches us that we have a tendency to be self-reliant instead of God-reliant. Does your performance match your profession? Paul said, I can do everything. If he had stopped there, we would be justified in calling him an egotist of a higher order. But that is not his statement. In Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Like the boy's father in this story, we believe, but our belief is often weak, unsupported by prayer and obedience toward God. Do we try to use the gifts and talents God has given us in our strength and then wonder why we fail, why we are so often ineffective? This past Friday on my day off, I took a day trip that I'd been wanting to take for a long time. That might be the reason I sound like I've been gargling razor blades. I don't know. But I went into Albemarle County up into the Free Union Boonesville area. It's about 35 minutes from Charlottesville. I went there particularly to look at a cemetery where some of my family on my grandfather's side are buried. Prize Hill Cemetery. I got there and I looked the cemetery over and I thought I knew. It had been a year since I'd been there where my grandfather's grandfather was buried. And for the life of me, I couldn't find it. I searched that cemetery up one side and down the other. Got all my steps in for the day. You know what I'm talking about. That Those who have those. And I thought, well, I can't find it, but I'll call daddy. He'll know. So I pulled out my phone, and guess what? In that part of Albemarle County, there was no cell service. Not a bar. It had that one-time thing on it. So I was stuck. I saw lots of people that I had known as a boy who had been uh, buried there and visited their graves and thought of some fond memories. But the one grave I went to find, I couldn't find. I sought for help, but it wouldn't come. 
So finally, when I got down the road far enough, I called. He answered. And he said, oh, yeah, it's down in the left corner, the very one place I didn't think it was and didn't go. That's where it was. So I came home and looked it up online, and the name of my father's, or my grandfather's grandfather was William Brazil Madison. And he was a private for the, for the Confederacy, had to be, because he was born in 1827 and died in 1905. But what I left there with was this thought about where we are today. I sought help that wasn't available. But we know the truth, don't we? There's always help with Jesus. He said, if you can. And Jesus said, oh, I can. And he did. The disciples became overconfident and they failed miserably. May God help us to be certain that our confidence is always in him and not in ourselves. Then we too can see the glorious work of our Lord. Shall we pray? (coughs) Gracious and loving God, We're thankful for this story, for it reminds us of our weaknesses and our strengths, for we know our strength rests in you. We're thankful, Father, that as we hear these words, we can be challenged and blessed. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus calls to each of us, to allow him to lead. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ as Savior, to anyone who would unite with this fellowship of believers, whatever your desire, the Lord is calling. Our hymn of invitation is How Great Thou Art, number six. Will you stand as we sing? Hear the 
gentle breeze then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how Take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. One of my favorite songs, I didn't have voice enough to sing it, I'm sorry that I couldn't sing with you, but I enjoyed hearing you sing this morning. Thank you for being here. Next Sunday, we will be having our kickoff Sunday for Bible school. Even though Bible school is not until August 4th through 8th, we want to begin our time of sign-up for uh, workers and so forth. And uh, some people have already been uh, enlisted, I know, but we want to make sure that uh, we uh, have that time to promote our Bible school and plenty of time to be out in our community and getting people to come and be a part of that good time of fellowship. So uh, keep that in mind. Again, remember those of you who are on the vision team, the meeting has been postponed for tomorrow and there is no dodgeball or volleyball on Thursday. Just wanted to make those notes for you as well. And so uh, we need to enter into a time of business. I'll recognize Alan um, Atkins to come. If you are not a member of the congregation, you are invited to stay if you would like, but you also are invited to leave if you would like. It's up to you if you would like to uh, stay or go. So uh, you may have them seated. You may be seated if you're here for the 